tiny, pebble-like, and red. A red so red, it's the red red is based on. An almost imaginary red. And when you put one or two of these in your mouth, taken carefully out of a torn plastic corner of the bag, there's a heat that comes right after the sweetness. Not ghost pepper hot, not Scoville levels hot, but these candies have a nice warmth, tinged with the flavor of our youth, cinnamon. A spice capable of conjuring memories from long ago, like the red cinnamon mouthwash with the bottle top you filled and used as a cup. The big red gum, the kind preferred by the teacher at your alternative kindergarten who wore tinted sunglasses all day and whose long brown hair swept across the shoulders of her soft leather jacket. You took note when she came back in after recess. Her whole being smelled like cinnamon smoke, tobacco notes asserting themselves in spite of the gum's best efforts. Now in the house, these tiny red hots only appeared around Valentine's Day a harbinger of love, and nights where your parents went out to dinner and you stayed home. And you'd watch your babysitter, Beth, from next door, uninterested in you or anything you were doing, as she picked individual candies and held them between her thumb and forefinger and sucked them, slurp, into her mouth as she talked on the yellow phone that was mounted to the wall in the kitchen. I could never tell if Beth was happy, she dressed older than she was and seemed to focus on something just over your shoulder when she talked. We had these candies in our house because my mother would use them to decorate a special pink Valentine's Day cake, dotting out a little heart on the top, putting a few in a small bowl for me to eat while she mixed cinnamon red hots, a tiny thing that conjures a big memory. Sometimes we find those things a little bit of peeling paint on a doorway that, once we scratch at it, removing a piece, suddenly a new reality opens up. You see past lives and your future life within it. Because now you have to repaint the doorway or make a choice to live with it. Tonight on the program we're talking about how an assembly of carefully observed details can open up our beings to a new, more expansive picture. And sometimes that involves a banjo or a bird call. Tune into our frequency as we send you the coordinates to the interdimensional portal that leads us to the Deep Night. Deep Friends, hello, it's me, Del Seaver, and it's my pleasure to be your host, guide, and attentive partner through this next hour of regrets and revelations we call the Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus, and our Gowani has a slick coat of winter oil protecting its tender and nougaty center. News from the commune here is that we've started selling some double-layer masks on our Etsy site. They say we have to wear two masks now, and too many of us suffer from weak ears. Maybe they were always weak, or maybe the cartilage has softened due to a lack of sunlight. Now, I'm not a licensed medical professional, but I do dabble, <laughs> and that seems right to me. 
because Galinda and I both found that the extra tension of two elastic bands on the ears was a recipe for the top mask to spring off and into the air, usually landing in a nearby bowl of soup or on the grey, greasy sludge of a Brooklyn sidewalk. And so we've taken to just making our own double-up masks with single bands. We never stop innovating here in the deep night. And true to a recent conversation on this show, I bought a wee chunk of black tourmaline to put under our pillows in hopes that it, too, can help build ear strength as we sleep. Just try it, is my approach to getting through this. One of the things I love about doing this show of ours, dear listeners, reaching out to a guest because they might be a friend of a friend or a bandmate of a former guest, or they're just making work I admire, and somehow, almost inevitably, we arrive at a point of true connection. A bit of shared history. And isn't that the goal after all of all we do, to find someone out there who makes us feel less alone? Such dazzling points of intersection happened when I sat across the digital table from musician Cassandra Jenkins. Now, I saw Cassandra play during a show with our friend Lola Kirk. She emerged from the back with long braids uh, that she had at the time and a fine hat. And when she played, I thought, okay, who is this? And then when I saw Cassandra had an album coming out this February, I sent a note to see if we could set something up. Little did I know that we've had lots of overlap and some very specific references and experiences in common. It was a delightful conversation, and in addition to having great fun talking with Cassandra, I'm genuinely a fan of her work, and this new album that she has out is really incredible. And I got a sneak peek listen in advance of our conversation, a perk of podcasting. And you can find an overview of Phenomenal Nature, which is what the album is called, out everywhere and streaming on February 19th. Cassandra Jenkins has played in the bands of Eleanor Friedberger, Craig Finn, and the aforementioned Lola Kirk. She had already, she was rehearsing, ready to go with a tour for Purple Mountains, and then that went away, and she put everything into this album that she has now, and she's going to be uh, promoting that a bit, I gather. So let's go now to my conversation with Cassandra Jenkins. Cassandra Jenkins, welcome to The Deep Night. Thank you so much, Dale, for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. It's mm-hmm. wonderful to have you here, and we have lots to talk about, including mm-hmm. this amazing new album of yours, an overview on phenomenal nature. It's terrific. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, first mm-hmm. up, I'd like to ask you the question I ask everyone, which is if you'd be interested in joining a commune I've started here in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, interesting. Well, um, before I make a decision, an educated decision, I'd love to know a little bit more about the commune, like what the accommodations are like, and yes, um, some of the other members would be. It'd be great to know what I'm getting myself into. Sure, I understand all. Those are all good questions to have. Uh, it is just a basic apartment building because you know everybody's gone now in Manhattan and Brooklyn, and so kind of emptied out. We took over a nice little apartment space, and mm-hmm. we're just letting reasonable rates on everything, and we all just contribute to the okay. chores. But I tell you what, I'll send you over bios of everybody that's involved, um, okay. and you can you can make an informed decision uh, at your leisure. Uh, I do imagine you'd be a great mushroom forager, though, and we need one of those. Okay, I do. Um, I haven't yet gone mushroom foraging, but I, I agree. I think I would be very, very good at it. Right. Um, <laughs> if 
if given the proper guidance, I think I, I could be great. She, yeah. I knew that. I, I knew it right off the bat. How did you know? <laughs> what, what was it about me that told you? Well, first of all, I'm a bit of an intuitive, so I kind of get this thing. Even from just uh, the, the one time I've seen you play or, or listening to your music, I got the mm-hmm. sense that you'd be uh, similarly in touch with the way mm-hmm. things are moving and your attraction to nature and a keen eye. Uh, so <laughs> maybe perhaps something in the lyrics, but we'll get to it. We'll get okay. to it. Um, okay, I'm flattered. But that's, that's terrific. Um, now, I gather you grew up uh, among artists, Right, Mm -hmm. and maybe spent some time uh, uh, as a young person on the folk music circuit. So probably the commune lifestyle is not that outside of your realm of experience. Yeah, you. you, It turns out you also maybe know some things about me in in combination (laughs) with your intuition. That's right. (laughs) Research (laughs) and intuition—that's the whole game, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. so you've been around some, you know, loose trousered uh, folks. You've maybe shared a soup spoon or two. Yes, um, shared a soup spoon or two. <laughs> um, some some spoons in trousers sometimes. I mean, it it, get, it gets really crazy in the commune life, as you know. <laughs> as I know. Uh, well, I want to hear about what it was like for you growing up in New York a little bit, because it sounds like you, you were coming of age in a time in the kind of wild throes of bohemian Manhattan. Um, <laughs> your, your, your parents are both musicians and artists? Uh, they are, yeah. Um, so I actually, I'm in the house right now where I grew up, and it's on the Upper West Side. And um, my dad and my mom met uh, doing a production of Guys and Dolls and off, 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 off Broadway, upstate New wow. York. Wow. Um, and then they started a band uh, and played and toured as a, as a lounge act for years before they started a family. And then... Um, Three kids later, we started a family band and then started hosting house concerts in this building, uh, which have filled the house for almost 20 years now. So, and, you know, we sort of collected a whole group of friends through our travels as a family band. And a lot of those people would end up coming and playing shows. So when we hosted a house concert, we were hosting other people that were traveling through. And then usually that night, everybody would stay over. So the house would just be full to the gills with, with people and, and, uh, and music. And you could hear it, you know, like down the street, you could hear the music playing and, um, well loved by your neighbors. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Luckily, you know, we th- we thought we were going to get um really we thought that there was going to be complaints and one night we heard the buzzer at a time when everybody had already shown up and we thought okay, tonight's the night when people call the cops and we went downstairs. My dad went down very cautiously. And he saw a neighbor and he said, you know what, is there too much noise? I'm so sorry about that. And the neighbor comes and she lifts up her hand with a a six pack of beer. She's like, no, I was just not invited. I just, I was wondering if I could come and just invite myself. Is that okay? And he's like, yeah, come on up. I mean, that's the trick always to invite your neighbors if you don't want to get them to call off the party. But 
I guess he had forgotten somebody and, and they got, <laughs> they welcomed themselves into the fold. And that's kind of how things happen. It just sort of snowballs. Yeah. Um, I, and they knew to bring beer, which is also uh, good on them <laughs> for yeah. a way to get it. But now, hold on. That prompts a lot of questions. Uh, the Lounge Act. Have you seen video of that? Do you know what that is? What was uh, going on there? Are we talking about keys and vocals? Uh, were they, what was the standards maybe they were singing? No. There was no, I don't have any video. Oh my gosh. I can, um, before we get off the phone, I can, I, or off of our video chat, I can bring some photos over and show you. They're pretty fabulous. They were playing, um, a lot of standards, uh, jazz standards, and then some top 40 of the time, like in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and they were playing anything from casinos. I was born actually in Atlantic City because they were playing casinos at the wow. time. And wow. uh, they were playing cruise ships. They had a gig at this Italian restaurant called SPQR in Little Italy. Um, that was kind of a it's kind of a mob front, actually. I mean, that's a whole other story. That that that's another <laughs> podcast episode. Talk to oh, my parents. Uh, chapter um, two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They need they need a whole a podcast series devoted to their their um, wild adventures as a lounge act. But yes. um, they were a trio called the Lynx Trio, and they also toured kind of the Hudson Valley, Catskill Mountain circuit. So there was. In the 80s, I guess there was a whole bunch of hotels that would have comedians and and musicians, and it would be these kind of weekends where they would they would play all over the the Catskills. Um, and yeah, what else can I tell you about it? I mean, it was my mom played the electric bass, my dad played piano, and my mom would sing sometimes. And then yes. they had a um, a drummer. And if you've ever seen the fabulous Baker Boys. Uh-huh. Um, with Michelle Pfeiffer and Jeff Bridges and Jeff Bridges' brother. I can't remember his name. Bo um, Bridges, I think. Bo Bridges, yeah. Yep. So that watching that movie and watching my dad watch that movie let me know <laughs> kind of what the whole vibe was. Uh, it was fabulous Baker Boys vibe. My mom definitely was booed off the stage at one point because she still didn't really know how to play the bass, you know, and it, it just... But they, uh, that was their, that was how they got, that's how they ended up in New York. Um, and that's, that was their life for many years. And, and how soon, uh, you said you were born in Atlantic City, but how uh, quickly were you then brought into the fold? Like, did, was it always, did you just pick up the guitar? Uh, did they need, <laughs> I mean, did I, they need somebody to fill in? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I was in the womb my, when my mom was playing bass in the casinos, you know, so Man. I really think it started back then. You um, were picking it up. <laughs> yeah. At least I was picking up, you know, the, the feel. I was picking up the feel, the good bass feel. Um, right. And I, let's see, I started, I mean, I started playing piano when I was a little kid, but I, I, I lost interest in the piano. My dad is such a good piano player. I think I like, I wanted my own thing. And then I started playing bass when I was a teenager because I wanted to play in my friend's rock bands. So we had yeah. a bass lying around and that just seemed like, well, my mom plays bass. Like that seemed like the natural thing to do. So I started playing bass as a kid and and studied jazz for a while, kind of kind of became a jazz dropout because I just I didn't like soloing. I really, really didn't like soloing. <laughs> which which is a big part of jazz. Because when they yeah. when they just kind of kick it over to you, you gotta go. I and didn't if you, like if you that. don't want to. <laughs> No, yeah. I'll, oh my gosh, I I know we're off on a huge tangent right now, but I was just thinking about um, 
my first time at jazz camp, I got pink eye. And I will never forget trying to take a, a bass solo with pink eye to autumn leaves. And I played one note and then I stopped playing and then I just swore I would never play another bass solo ever again. And I don't really think that I have. I really think that that was my last bass solo. <laughs> I was like 15. Oh, man. Well, jazz when you camp. know, you know. When you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, jazz camp sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, I think it would have been more fun without the pink eye, without the like conta- contagious gunk coming out of my eyes. Yes, yes, because <laughs> there's a lot of touching and then strings and touching and impulse. Uh, and yeah. nerdy kids uh, that you want to make out with, kids. you know. Just <laughs> yeah, who are deep into jazz, yeah, <laughs> on autumn leaves. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Heck I of a baseline. I wasn't with anybody. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, it wasn't happening. Um, but uh, I do, I understood you did do a little bit of a tour. Was it that circuit through the uh, Catskills? Because I was, you know, when I grew up, uh, I had mm-hmm. a steady diet of classical guitar, uh, folk music, and jazz myself. So that's kind of what I was steeped in. And we went to, cool. uh, uh, owing to that, well, I don't know if it's cool, but okay. <laughs> so <laughs> but, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we went to uh, a lot of uh, craft fairs and May Day festivals. Oh, yeah, so oh, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've certainly swooned over uh, a fair share of uh, dulcimer maidens, if you oh, will. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Do you know who Malcolm Dalglish is? By any chance? I have, I have heard that name, yes. Okay. But refresh, uh, dulcimer refresh player. Not yeah. a maiden, by any chance. He had some maidens with him in his band. Um, but he was a Naturally. dulcimer player that used to play at this folk festival that we went to every summer in Maine called the Sweet Chariot um, Music and Arts Festival on an island called Swans Island off the coast of Maine uh, yes. near near Mount Desert Island. And we would go there every year and it was sort of a vaudeville show and we were the family band act in this vaudeville show. There was anything from Malcolm Douglas, the dulcimer player, to... Um, Susie Williams, who was a like a torch singer, and there was um, African drumming, and there was uh, uh, Sam Amidon used to play. He came and played old time fiddle. Um, Bob Lucas, banjo player. Like uh, there was um, Dean Stevens, who played the the acoustic guitar, often sang in Spanish about uh, like just a total giant, jolly green giant kind of pacifist fellow who played these really beautiful songs about peace um and then you know acoustic uh what, what georgian uh singing um chance yeah yeah uh yeah. i mean uh there were clowns sometimes there was a painter who would make a painting on stage every night i mean true folk vaudeville like eccentric just a bunch of weirdos on an island for many days straight and their children um uh, who thought that this was normal. I mean, I, I really didn't realize how what a bizarre sort of upbringing this was <laughs> until I right. brought a friend from college to the festival, and he was like, this is truly one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is what I always, this is my life. Oh, this is weird. <laughs> right. You know, just just had no idea t- until I brought an outsider in to look at it. And, and of course, I it was strange, but I mean, all these people they're the reason that I write songs. And, you know, I would sit at night around, uh, in a circle with all these, this, you know, it was somewhat kumbaya. It was somewhat, um, uh, somewhat 
more hard edged than that, I think. Um, but it was, uh, it was where I was introduced to the idea of just bringing your songs that you'd written that year to the table and playing them for everybody and everybody sings along. And there were storyteller, incredible storytellers, um, who would emcee sometimes and tell stories at the end of the night. And, you know, every would be, everyone would be sort of in a big kind of a cuddle puddle, uh, (laughs) And then we do it all over again the next day. So I I don't know if that, that, hopefully that paints a little bit of a picture. And then that sort of was the extension. We sort of took that back to New York City and would host these house concerts. Um, With that same energy. A lot of, yeah, often hosting yeah. those people, kind of giving them a place to stay in New York City where it's hard to find gigs as a folk musician where you're going to sure. make any money and, and actually be in a room where people want to listen, you know. So I think... It was sort of like a, a safe haven for people stopping by. Yeah, it sounds uh, dreamy, honestly, and it sounds yeah. like really part of the, the the honesty and integrity that's involved in all that is so uh, appealing, and it's easy to kind of maybe make fun of it sometime from the outside, but but really, uh, it's there's a little jealousy, I think, <laughs> when you when you do because it's just is so uh, true and honest and earnest, and uh, it's really compelling, I think, for uh, certainly those involved, and if you're invited and to be part of it, must be. Wonderful, and it sounds formative. I have yeah. uh, one more question about. First of all, I think I, I said chance, thinking you meant Gregorian, but Georgia uh, uh, singing, of course, is that beautiful uh, harmonies where they all blend yes. together, and that's yeah. probably what you were referring to. Yes. Um, and uh, the how big, just so I have a sense, was the family band? Um, there are five of us. Okay. And all, all right. family members uh, were recruited. <laughs> there were no mystery <laughs> family members like the, the six, the Jenkins. I mean, unless you include our, we had a few cats, um, but yeah. uh, that's there were all five of us. My brother uh, Reed is eight years younger than I am and is an incredible violinist and songwriter. My sister is four years younger than I am. And she's also a great songwriter, but and filmmaker. She's a producer, so. We're still all doing music in different ways. I think we're we all have very different expressions of our our musical personalities. Um, Reed yeah. ended up not giving up on jazz and like went deep into the <laughs> jazz thing. Um, is someone who's incredibly good at scatting with zero, um, just like one hundred percent sincerity. Loves scatting. Yeah. Um, and is there is there a lot of opportunities for him to, to do, <laughs> There to were pre pandemic, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. Scatting's a very, uh, a lot of droplets involved, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super yeah. scatting. <laughs> yeah, super he's, scatting. He's a super scatter. Uh. <laughs> but, well, you know, he, he doesn't really need any opportunity. He's scatting all the time. I mean, honestly. Sure. Well, it's once so you're a scatter. Funny. Yeah, Always yeah. a scatter. <laughs> well, I'm curious. You mentioned uh, bringing somebody from college out there uh, and yeah. exposing them to this and having some uh, holding with that tension of the outside world versus your inside uh, mm. or sort of your experience. And I'm curious where the visual arts uh, stand and kind of sit mm. uh, for you in all this. Because as I understand oh. it, uh, you and I share an alma mater. <gasps> did you go to RISD? I did. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, That's can you so believe cool. It? That's so again very cool. <laughs> if very I do say cool. so myself. Well, um, I mean, it's the coolest school you can go to. What was the plan <laughs> there? Painting, photography. Um, the plan was, 
I wanted to study art and my dad was like, well, you've got to study, if you're going to study art, you need to do an applied art so that you can make a living. He, he had this whole thing where he was like, if it ends in I-G-N, you can make a living. If it ends in I-N-G, good luck. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, graphic design ends in I-G-N. I guess I'll study graphic design. And actually, to be honest, I loved graphic design. I, I wanted to know who makes album covers. I want to do that. And I went into graphic design for that reason. Yeah. And, um, Very and straightforward. Very practical. Yeah. And I also, <laughs> you know, I loved all the other stuff too. And I ended up studying sound art and doing performance art and studying, you know, uh, a lot of stuff. I ended kind of double majoring in photography, even though technically, you know, double majors were pretty hard at RISD. But um, yeah. I, I studied a lot of photography and then um, graduated did design for a little while. I actually worked at the New Yorker for two years as in the photography department and then um, decided I didn't want to do design anymore and just really wanted to do music and um, just left that life kind of behind. But I still do a lot of visual art stuff. Yeah. Um, well, how I'm about... Still, uh, go, oh, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Um, I don't know. I, I could tell you about some of my side gigs, but I, I, <laughs> I'm still doing visual stuff all the time. Um, and I need it. I love it. I think visual art is probably more of an influence on my music than music is. So I it yeah. just, I, that's like, my brain is always buzzing with, with visual stuff. I felt like you could sense that in listening to the album that you have uh, coming out because uh, the attention to detail, the description, the vi the visual pictures that you're uh, putting forward in that album are very uh, precise and lyrical, and it seemed to come from a visual place. So uh, it, it was no surprise when I saw that you were uh, from RISD and inclined to have some visual arts background. Um, and so what was happening then uh, in Providence, which, my goodness, what a place. Yeah. Uh, there's few places, I think, <laughs> on it, that I have been to where right from day one you could experience what felt like its own kind of gravity uh, to it, a very mm -hmm. specific, almost Brigadoon-like quality. Yeah. <laughs> that once you leave it, it kind of disappears into a vapor. Yeah. And, and uh, so... <laughs> oh, what were some of the haunts uh, there? Were you doing shows in mm -hmm. AS220? Well, were you yeah. doing some some things that, what was it, cable car? Where, where were the places oh, you the were going to? cable car. <laughs> well, I, just keep, I mean, gosh, talking about that stuff really brings me back. Um, the tap room was the tap room. where we played. And the tap room, I played the last show ever in the tap room. And that was where, of course, like the talking heads used to play, right? Apparently. like um, Yes. And of course, that was before probably both of our times at RISD, but, um, I, I did get to play in the tap room, which was this, this gorgeous room that's, I think now devoted to a, a painting studio. Um, something did, not helpful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, gosh, what is it in like art school or oh, something? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I played at AS220, um, and a lot of house shows. I played in a string band at the time. Uh -huh. So I was playing banjo, which I don't know if you can see this behind me, but the banjo is a big part of my life, which I, I kind see. of keep a secret most of the time. But I feel like my alma mater brother, I feel like we can, <laughs> we can talk about the banjo a little bit. Um, yes. Yeah. And you've showed I, me, well, because this is audio, I will just describe it. You've shown up, there's a, a handsome poster of a banjo uh, behind you. Yes. And you were yes, showing it, it off. Yes. Yes. It says ring the banjo. Um, and so I, I, 
I was studying the banjo at the time. I was in a relationship with a banjo player, and I was like deep in the old time music scene. I was taking uh, old time string band classes at Brown, actually with Elvis Perkins, who um, oh. who I love and who I still occasionally see around. Um, and uh, I was playing in a string band, and we would open for this band called Fang Island. Who, uh, which comprises of a lot of my dear friends from college. One of whom is is um, named Jason, and we. It's kind of like a noise, kind of metally. It's like if you took the choruses from all of the happy metal songs and squished them into one song. That's kind of what Fang Island sounds like. Yeah. And so they're really loud. They would often be playing at full volume in these old Providence, like haunted houses. And then inevitably the power would go out at some point. And so the string band would open for them. Then whenever the power went out, we would start to play again. And then they'd get the power back on and Fang Island would start playing again. And so it was just, it was this really amazing kind of moment in my life where old time string band music and kind of like Providence noise came together in this really synchronistic way. Um, Yes. And it was just in these creaky old houses. Like we would play at this place. Um, what was it called? The um, the carriage house. That really, really oh, cool yeah. carriage carriage house, um, which actually had kind of like secret passageway to the. Do you know about this? <laughs> I don't know about the secret passageway, though. I'm not surprised to learn it. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there are all of these underground tunnels in Providence that were used in the slave yes. trade. And yeah. the carriage house actually had a an opening to one of the tunnels in it. So, you know, underneath Providence is also this really dark history, which I think is really fascinating, um, which it was kind of like yes. the from how, how I understand it is that was the opposite of the Underground Railroad. It was where they were still managing to practice slave trading in the north while it was abolished. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah that, so that, that that menace never left Providence. It's still there. I mean, I was there during you know, uh, Buddy Cianci fever stuff. Oh yeah. And, uh, I mean, you still had, uh, you know, it just is creepy. <laughs> it yeah, has the, I know that you understand the Lovecraft roots. You understand uh, the other folks who have come through there and picked yeah. up on that. And if you're sensitive to it. It's almost yeah. overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, there's a huge, there's definitely a lot of darkness in Providence, and you can feel it. You yeah. can feel it feels very haunted there. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of ghost tours as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Providence is a really crazy place. Um, yes. But, yeah, the whole mafia thing is just an insane part of its history. I was there sort of after that, um, had kind of died down a little bit. I don't know. I graduated in yeah. uh, 06 was my, yeah. my, my graduating year. So I had about a decade on you or so. Uh, uh, and it was like after that had happened, but there was a resurgence, you know, yes. <laughs> like Cianci got out of prison and ran again or something. And yeah. so there was this like, oh, we're going to dredge through. It was all very active. And of course, young people were fascinated by it and all that. And, mm-hmm. uh, anyhow, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's an odd. And at that point, the music scene that I was exposed to was that Fort Thunder and, and yes. that kind of loud noise grinding. Yeah dirty fella uh, kind of thing with um, uh, He-Man action figures and spaghetti wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was a huge Lightning Bolt fan when I was a teenager. And so like uh-huh. when I got to Providence, I mean, that was definitely a big reason why I applied to RISD too. It was like so I could make album covers and 
I guess, be around where Lightning Bolt used to play. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was all, a, all a, a moment. And and there's a couple of things that I thought in listening to your music where I felt a little providence, a little surge here and there. Cool. And one was the that sense of um, a kind of stillness and framing something where you might get on the top floor of Waterman Building where they have these very narrow windows where you look out and you might see that beautiful old church and it framed just perfectly. But as you get closer, of course, the frame expands and you get to see more of it. And this tension between moving closer and farther apart from something, I mm -hmm. felt a little bit in your music, as well as that experience that I don't know if you ever went and stood before that giant wooden Buddha at the RISD Museum that they have there. Mm -hmm. But it's enormous sculpture. And and if you stand there and if you're quiet enough, you can almost sense it taking a breath. And it's kind of challenging you to also breathe at that slow pace and, mm -hmm. and to just calm down a little bit and be mm -hmm. aware. Mm -hmm. I just got chills that when you started talking about that. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I forgot about that. And, um, and thank you. That's a huge compliment. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know how to respond to be honest. I mean, I, I hope that I think that the, the music has a tremendous amount of self-reflection in it, as well as reflection on my environment and the things I was encountering in real time. Um, and sort of it's there's a lot of dialogue between my inner landscape and the landscape that I'm floating through. And there are a lot of landscapes in the record because I was just traveling like a maniac. I just wrote down um, a timeline of that, those few months of my life. And it's insane, especially when we're looking at our lives now where we're all so static. Yeah. Uh, to look at my life during that period when I was writing this album, which was a very short windowed period of my life. Um, you, I can't believe how much was happening from a day to day <laughs> basis and all the places I was going. I mean, really you look at it, you're like, this person is insane. <laughs> what were they doing? <laughs> how did they have time and energy for this? That's not the same person that's talking to you today. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Well, I, I imagine any day that I used to do, just a normal day, <laughs> now seems yeah. impossible to have gotten yeah. through. So I can yeah. imagine when somebody has that kind of uh, pace that's kind of amped up and, and uh, informed by performing that it's it's been such a wild period of adjustment to, to suddenly yeah. be doing almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's it's intense. Um uh, after, uh, I, I want to get back to the uh, um, RISD thing in a way, just because, um, as we said, Providence is overwhelming. Uh, and <laughs> being as sort of in tune as you were, uh, I think it's difficult to, to linger there for very long. So oh, did you yeah. then move, you moved back to New York and then I, uh, got yeah. going? I left yeah. right away, like right after I graduated, I, I left and I came straight back to New York. I spent the summer sort of playing in bands and trying to figure out what I was doing and then immediately applied for my first job. Got I was the first person to apply, ended up working at The New Yorker for two years, my first job out of college, and 
what a what a wonderful whirlwind that was. Um, <laughs> I can imagine to go straight from RISD, where they're just pumping your ego full of. <laughs> I mean, I I walked out of that place so confident, and then I <laughs> went to the New Yorker and was uh, shown, you know, adult life for the first time. Um, <laughs> Some and humility. Some <laughs> humility. Just, just. oh my gosh. I mean, all of the cliches of the mistakes that a person does on their first week, two weeks of work. I mean, I fell right into all those traps. It was it was really funny looking back on it. Pretty excruciating at the time. But yeah, I, I learned a lot of things really quickly. I, I learned a lot working there and met a lot of incredible people. But like, wow, what a way to start your adult life. Um, <laughs> Uh, and one of the things that, that uh, struck me in just reading uh, what I did read uh, was that there's a sense that you have that, um, yes, let's go, let's jump, let's uh, record mm-hmm. an album in a week, let's yeah. go on tour, uh, yeah. let's make a video in a day. Where yeah. does that come from? Is that from the, the sense of uh, a musicians coming through, let's get together, make something, move on, this might be the only moment you have? Yeah, I definitely think that that's informed a little bit by that that thing that you know all too well, which is intuition. And um, uh, I think as well as informed by having like a lot of tragedy in my life where I've realized, you know what, this really, it's, this person might not be around forever and I might not have a chance to do this again. And realizing through some hardships that things are incredibly fleeting um, even in difficult times, like right now, I think we really have to stay in touch with that and really, really appreciate what we have each day. And it's funny tapping into that again right now, cause I'd sort of forgotten about that energy. I think you, it's this, I really feed off of it. I think it's, um, it's, it's not like a drug. I, I've, I've never really had any issues with chemical dependencies and stuff like that. So I think there is this, I do get a lot out of kind of the rush of changing plans last minute and um, just uh, really, you know, buying a plane ticket and going on that plane the next day, like those sorts of things. I I don't always have the luxury to do that, but those sorts of things really, like, I think they really drive me. Um, And it doesn't and, have anything to do with being born in Atlantic City and taking a gamble. <laughs> I'm a gambler. I'm just a gambler at heart. <laughs> you've um, got a steady baseline, but you know you can take some chances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you've got the if you've got the the feel down, then you can fly. Um, right. But I feel yeah. what you're saying, though. I, I I too have that sense that like time is limited, it, and it is. I want to make the most of it. Not that. Uh, yeah, it's it's really driven by that. That it's just like I maybe informed by personal tragedy and that kind of thing too. But gosh, I feel a pressure uh, to to do things, and yeah. it does motivate you. And it's really a balance because if you, how do you go to sleep at night if you're feeling that pressure, you know, all the yeah. time? Um, and honestly, I am actually quite an insomniac, especially these days. But I I feel. If the question is, are you going to do this or not? Usually within seconds, I'm thinking, yes, I can do this. And and <laughs> unless it imposes some kind of danger or harm on myself or someone else, usually the answer is going to be yes, do it. 
Um, especially if it scares me, especially if it feels like it's outside of my comfort zone, especially if it's just on the edge of what I think I can do. And I'm definitely in that space right now, like with releasing a record, I'm getting over a pretty severe illness and it's really on the edge of my capability to be doing the kinds of things that I'm doing right now, like shooting music videos and, and, um, even just like having conversations all day, every day, you know, just it, (laughs) I'm really on the edge of my capabilities and it feels so good. (laughs) It feels like, (laughs) feels like, oh, okay. Yeah. I feel like I'm at home again. Right. Right. That familiar feeling. Of being on the edge of your seat. Yeah. (laughs) That's home. Yeah. 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 Um, Living on the edge. Well, yes. Uh, And as I understand it, this um, album was informed, you know, tying sort of a lot of these threads together uh, was informed by being at an exhibition, mm-hmm. a visual yep. arts exhibition. Um, and that was the uh, Mirnalini uh, Mukherjee show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, at the which Met, I... which, by the way, one of the most beautiful exhibitions uh, yeah. that has ever been uh, staged, certainly mm-hmm. at that institution, but but anywhere. So gorgeous. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah incredible worth like I really found it work I I found it really breathtaking when I showed up walked in I didn't know what to expect I didn't go in I hadn't read any articles my friends were just like hey I hear this this show we're in the neighborhood let's go check this out and um I went I was really struck by it and I love going into a body of work that I am completely unfamiliar with and getting to encounter it without any preconceptions or any outside influence and just getting to experience the work as it is not with any context of like the New York Times said this was great and uh my my art history class 101 like it told me that this was a pillar (laughs) of art you know and that I need to know about and just to go in cold is really a gift um to go in a beginner is to be able to it's just really thrilling and and I was just floored by the work itself and for those of us who are just listening right now it's it's this I mean maybe you can help me describe it it's um it's sculpture it's giant three-dimensional uh fiber woven fiber sculptures uh by yep, an Indian artist braided and and knitted into forms that are um, suggestive of uh, feminine energy, perhaps, uh, or mm-hmm. some kind of just power. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they are what <laughs> uh, they resemble bodies in some ways, and they're all kind of hanging, but bigger mm-hmm. than life size, but bigger yeah. than a person in most cases, um, in just yeah, the most extraordinary colors. Yeah. Um, kind of hovering, and they had these curtains surrounding each one uh, mm-hmm. or selections of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, kind of looming, kind of bestial, kind of yonic. Um, the colors really beautiful to see in person because they're all made from natural dyes. So they have this quality to them that when you're in front of it, I think especially now that we're in front of screens so much, we're looking at color via screens to actually see a hand dyed natural fiber saturated in this dye is it is a really powerful experience to see that color I'm really sensitive to color too I mean color theory is one of the things that I studied really extensively while I was at RISD and a lot of my work actually after RISD ended up being in specializing in color so I'm I'm Mm -hmm. just really thrilled by color and, and yeah it was just gorgeous and um and then you know just to see these very feminine 
forms and shapes to be so, to take up so much space and to really hold their power, which I'm not sure how much of that was her intention. Um, but I felt that I took that away. I felt, God, I feel so incredibly at home amongst these very powerful female figures. It just, it made me feel really at once very safe and, and seen and sort of amongst, I felt like I was in a forest of this, this really beautiful power, um, and power that was not asking to take away anyone else's power, but power that was just really beautiful to behold. And, and then sure enough, um, I was stopped by a security guard that day who talked to me for about 15 minutes, just sort sort of monologued. Um, and, uh, and I bring it up because it's, it's, of course it's in one of my songs. Um, And And the album takes its name from that exhibition or... Yes, yeah. yeah. And it takes its name from the security guard who stopped me. I'm often stopped by strangers. It's just kind of a part of being me and um, my life. Me too. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to know what your theory is as to why or what it is about you that makes people feel comfortable talking to you. But I... I'm not really sure what it is other than I, I think I'm sort of approachable. Um, I, I maybe carry myself with a, a kindness that people, I'm not intimidating. So people feel comfortable talking to me. Um, but there's something else there. I I don't know what it is. I, it, it, it happens too when I'm with other people. Um, it's happened to me in different countries too. Yeah. yeah, people just oh, uh, yeah. anyone will come up and ask me for directions, and I yes, I, <laughs> I, I have the same know thing. I'm like, are. I yeah, I was in Mexico City, and people were asking me for directions. I was like, I really, I I've only been here for three days, and I don't speak a lick of Spanish, <laughs> but thank you. I feel so incredibly flattered. Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah, I I um. So anyway, this 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 woman starts talking to me, and she says, "I'd like to give you an overview of of this exhibit." And she launched into a very um, subjective uh, view of the art in front of me and all of her views on politics and feminism and spirituality and nature. And it had nothing to do with an overview of the exhibit (laughs) whatsoever. And I just fell in love with her in that moment because I was just like, you are presenting this, this overview this kind of like scientific synopsis the term you know this this academic term for this exhibit when you're actually just really spilling your guts out for me um in this really open way but presenting it as an overview of a an exhibit it's just it was so strange and wonderful and um you know it a little bit of like punisher vibes you know like I didn't ask for this and I kind of need to yeah. get going, but, uh, but also I feel so honored that you're sharing all these thoughts with me. <laughs> um, right. and so I ended up recording it cause I, I have this thing, I go through phases of my life and this was one of them where I'm recording all the time. Like I have voice memos of my friends, my family, just parties, snippets from the subway, strangers, I, I, I sort of compulsively record people and things and I rarely listen back to them. But then when I was making this album and I had this verse about this woman, um, 
I was like, you know what, Josh, I think I have a recording. I'm curious what she was actually saying. And we listened back to it. And she had a lot of really beautiful things to say. Um, (laughs) And she had this great accent and just, she said it in really plain English. You know, she wasn't trying to be lofty. She wasn't trying to impress anyone. She was just talking about um, her views in this really plain way. And I, I, I just loved that so much. And that gets uh, introduced to one of the songs. Yeah, uh, yeah, her When it's Hard Drive, is that the song? Yeah, she introduces yeah. it. She says, uh, what does she say? When we lose our connection to nature, we lose connection with our spirit, our humanity. That was one of the quotes that I pulled from it. Yeah. Um, and she said lots of other things, but that was just one. She talked a lot about Trump and how much uh, she thought he was <laughs> doing very bad things for our country. Um and uh, tied that somehow into the exhibit that we were looking at again, you know, so it's... it's... Well, the, the museum guards are wonderful. That's a whole world unto itself. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've spoken with many of them over the years and uh, gotten to know some on very personal levels and the great tango dancers. And <laughs> you give them a little bit and they're going to take it. And, yeah. and they're happy to engage with people yeah. um, for the most part. So uh, that's wonderful and how nice that you were able to include it here and the rest of that song also had a uh, to me had a little bit of a Laurie Anderson vibe almost to it, oh. which another person that moves between music and visual art uh, uh, there. So I was I, pleased yeah. to hear that. Thank you. I mean, I love Laurie Anderson. I am a huge fan. I think she's probably my my favorite living artist, um, and. Uh, I'm really flattered. I, I have to be honest, I wasn't thinking about her at all when I was making that song, but I think when you love an artist a lot, like they get into you in ways that you're not even realizing or they're coming out of you in, in ways when, when you're not really expecting it to, so. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, uh, it's such a terrific album, and, and I, I love the jazz presence on there. I love the fact that you get some uh, foregrounding the saxophone that kind of comes and goes, a kind of symbol for the city, perhaps, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of racing through, and so much of nature that's also included on that, from bird songs and water and uh, winds, and, and uh, as I said, it encourages you to kind of slow down, take it all in, and uh, it's really an album unlike any I've heard, uh, certainly recently, and uh, it's really uh, wonderful. I hope people will Thank find you. it and and find your the rest of your work as well. Uh, so you, you, you're challenging yourself at the edge of capability. Will you be doing some virtual touring and things uh, for this? Thanks. Um, thank you for all those kind words, first of all. Um, I feel really honored that anyone is hearing this record. Um, and then to know that it's falling on ears like yours who are just appreciating it in the way that you are is it it means really a lot a lot to me because it's a really personal record and um I honestly never thought anyone was going to hear it and so to to have that part of me be alive and like running around in the world and interacting with with you and and others is is really wild for me and it feels really good so thank you um and I think I will be doing some live shows. Um, th- we're we're going to do some Instagram live shows uh, 
next week. So I'm doing one with this woman named Annie O. She's this really fabulous French promoter who used to host shows in the East Village. And I, I played a couple of her shows. Um, and I'm going to do one for her Instagram. And then I'm going to do one with Spin Magazine. And I've decided to stream any Instagram live shows from my bathtub because that's a place <laughs> where I spend every night at nine o'clock where I'd normally be, be playing a show if I were, you know, if it were a different time. Uh, I'm actually usually getting into the bathtub and uh, that's a place where I've been doing a lot of my sort of relaxing and healing and I just think that I'm excited to share that space. So I've, I'm doing some research right now as to which bubble bath will be the foamiest as to <laughs> keep the show the cleanest and uh, literally and figuratively. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I just, I'm actually just loving, but the bubble thing is a new element in the bath. I just, I'm like, wow, I really, I understand bubble baths now. I get, <laughs> I get why they're a thing. They're yeah. really fun. Um, yeah. feels really cool. And so I'm, I'm going to do some shows from my bathtub with a, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm pretty careful about COVID because I have some health concerns. Um, in addition to everyone else's, like I just, I'm being super careful. So getting a band together doesn't seem appropriate right now. So what I'm going to do is I have everything, my whole record, uh, all the instrumentals on a cassette tape, and I'm going to sing along karaoke style to my cassette tape in my bathtub. So that's going to be the show. <laughs> Sounds great. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the right bubbles are the key. I put the wrong kind of bubbles in a hotel jacuzzi in uh, <laughs> Montana, and my goodness, <laughs> we had quite a situation. <laughs> Call housekeeping. It was a, it was oh, a mess. Boy. So good to do your research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. See. Well, maybe you can tell me what bubbles those were, because if they were too much, then I want them. Oh, this was some kind of like hotel shampoo that uh, oh. I poured in and uh, extra foamy. I mean, they were about four feet high worth of bubbles. So. That's what I want. <laughs> I'll see if I can get you the hotel name. <laughs> you can tra track them down. I'm going to go straight to that hotel and be like, give me all your little shampoo bottles right now. I need all of them. I, I have some Instagram live shows coming up. I need everything you got. This is really important. That sounds good. Um, well, Cassandra, this has been amazing to have you on. I've really enjoyed uh, this and getting to speak with you, you too. and uh, and the album again. I hope people do uh, seek it out and find it um, because it is uh, an album of the moment and one that manages to also redefine the moment, cool. if that makes sense. That's really kind. Um, thank you. It's really great. Thanks. So thank you. Thank you for everything. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah. Oh, my thanks to Cassandra. That was uh, terrific. All right. Well, uh, because we want you to have a sense of Cassandra's music, we're going to play a track from her new album, An Overview on Phenomenal Nature, and this is the first song that opens up the album entitled Michelangelo. I'm a three-legged dog Working with what I got And part of me will always be looking for what I lost 
So there it is, a meditation, a rumination. I hope you'll seek out the album and give it a close listen. We do put all of our music interviews up on playlists on Spotify so you can hear both the actual tracks and the conversations we have about them. So check that out if you're interested. Now, that will do it for us this week. Grab some discounted bags of Red Hots and keep things warm through these last few weeks of winter. I wish you happiness and good health. Remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. 
Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Cadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at Seaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance.